Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning. Yes, great to be here with me, Sako. Okay, Nancy and I are really glad to be here with you this morning. It's been about 40 years, almost to the day, probably, since I first came to Makanji Baptist Church right before I left for Japan. And I want to thank you for your financial support and your prayer support for those many years. Before my message, I'd like to give a brief update on our ministry in Japan with International Chapel Ministries. I've been living in Japan for 40 years and Nancy for 39 and a half years, and we've been serving with International Chapel Ministries for 38 or more than 38 of those years. Over the past year since our last visit, four people have trusted in the Lord and five people were baptized. And this doesn't sound like a lot, but for Japan, uh, it's above average, and for that, we are very grateful for the Lord's work in the hearts and lives of these people. Uh, right now, we need prayer specifically for three main things. First and foremost is pre- preparing to hand over the leadership of the church that I am now pastoring. Now that I'm 65, we're, we need to start thinking about the day when we're going to be handing off the leadership to the next people. And at this point in time, we don't really know who that's going to be. This graphic, oh, there's a there a graphic, there you go. This graphic is a little bit old, so the statistics might be even worse. But about 90% of the pastors in Japan are currently at least 50 years old. And almost 50% of them are still active as the lead pastor in their 70s and 80s. So in other words, there's already a shortage of pastors in Japan, and it's only going to get worse. As an independent mission, we have no organization to look to for potential pastoral candidates. So the Lord might bring someone to us from outside our church, or he might raise up people from inside the church. We really don't know. Currently, I'm training four or five men to preach, and this year, they've already given five or six messages, and maybe the Lord will raise up someone or some of them out of this group of men to lead. I'm not sure. Uh, Right now, it's just totally in the Lord's hands. And I need prayer for wisdom in this transition process. I guess every senior pastor probably only goes through one (laughs) transition process, so I don't have any experience to fall back on. So I need wisdom for that. And we also need prayer for our Sunday school program which Nancy is playing a central role in. All the teachers who are now teaching are new. It's kind of a new generation of teachers from when Nancy was teaching regularly. We have only a few Sunday school-age children at this point in time, but we're trusting the Lord will be bringing in more. So we need prayer for training these new teachers and that the Lord will bring in new students. And thirdly, the offering income has dropped in part due to the pandemic. Uh, Some months, our church is in the red, which makes it hard for us to spend money on outreach. I've been serving more or less as a volunteer these 38 years, and our current budget right now doesn't allow for us to pay a pastor full-time when I step down. So at present, we don't know uh, for sure how many years we'll continue to 
to be leading. It could be three, four, or five years. We really don't know. So we would greatly appreciate your prayer for these things. And I've put a sign-up sheet in the, what do you call that, vestibule, lobby, on one of the tables out there. There's some prayer cards if you'd like to take one of those as well. But if you'd like to receive our prayer letter directly, please sign your name neatly, and I'll see that you uh, are added to our list. So thank you. Though I'm living in Japan, I keep up on what's going on here in the States. And one thing has become really clear in recent years. The way of thinking about what is right and wrong and moral and immoral and good and evil has changed completely compared to 50 years ago and even 25 years ago. Having a different opinion on certain issues, especially if you base that opinion on God's word, is now defined as hate. And truth is relative. There's no longer belief in absolute truth among a large percentage of the population. So as Christians, what are we to do about this? Some Christians tend to avoid the words sin or immoral or evil. It's much easier to talk to someone about God's love and mercy and how he wants to bless us in so many ways. And of course, those things are true. But sometimes I think A very important part of the gospel is left out, or it's not emphasized enough when we are sharing the gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. This is so true. The gospel is without a doubt the power of God for salvation. But as God's representatives on earth, as those who have been called by our Creator to fulfill the Great Commission, and as children of God and disciples of Christ, whose vocation is to be lights in the darkness and salt of the earth, we must make sure that the gospel that we lovingly and humbly share with the lost is not watered down so as not to offend the easily offended. In other words, we must make sure that we don't stop short of telling people that they need to repent of their sinful rebellion against God in order to be saved. In Japan, the word that is translated as sin in the Bible is a word that can also be translated as crime. And so many Japanese take offense at or reject the idea that they are sinners in need of forgiveness because of the nuance of the word. And in today's emotionally charged culture here in the West, it's not surprising that some churches and Christians find it hard to talk about sin. And depending on where you use the word or who you call a sinner, you could be beaten up or worse. And so I wonder if there was some of that kind of fear in Jonah as he considered what awaited him in Nineveh. The past four weeks, Pastor Ian has been preaching about the prophet Jonah and our vocation as Christians to fulfill God's mission in the world. And God wanted his people, the Jews, to be his witnesses. He wanted them to be his image bearers in this world. He wanted them to live holy and godly lives so that the idolatrous nations around them would see something different in them. They would see a different way of living 
they would see a different God. However, they mistakenly, the Jews mistakenly came to view themselves as the only people that God loved, his chosen people. And yet God had a much bigger plan than that. His plan was to bless all of the nations through Abraham and his descendants. But when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against their sin, as you've seen in the past messages, he went the other way. And as we continue now in the book of Jonah this morning, let's consider what God has called Christians to do as we await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Ian ended last Sunday with verse 4 of Jonah 3, and we'll be looking at verses 4 through 10 this morning. But first, let's look at last week's text again to set the stage for today's message, starting from the first verse of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. We don't know exactly how Jonah traveled to Nineveh after the fish coughed him up on the shore, but it was a journey of about 550 to 600 miles. And I think Jonah had a long time to think about what had happened to him recently and or happened to him recently since that first time that God told him to go to Nineveh. He also had a long time to think about the evil, about the viciousness of the people that he was going to be warning about God's impending judgment. When Jonah arrived at the gate of the great city of Nineveh, he was ready to begin preaching the message that God gave him. The Bible doesn't tell us much about Jonah's Jonah's message, though. We do know from verse 4 that he preached this warning. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, why 40 days? Well, the number 40 appears quite often in the Bible in relation to a number of different things. For example, periods of testing or trial, such as Moses' 40 years in the wilderness, or Jesus' temptation for 40 days in the wilderness. This also can be referring to times of judgment, such as the rains in Noah's day, which fell for 40 days and 40 nights. And we don't know if Jonah actually preached for 40 days or not. Personally, I don't think he did because of the reaction to his preaching that's found in verses 5 through 10. But the 40 days mentioned in his preaching was possibly God's way of indicating that his message was one of judgment. In verses 5 through 10, we see the amazing, or should I say miraculous results of Jonah's, Jonah's preaching. Verses 5 and 6 say this, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, 
covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. I'm not sure if Ian is watching right now, but Ian, I think it would be great if everyone responded to our preaching in the same way. (laughs) Everyone from the greatest to the least, it says, including the king, his nobles, they were all convicted by this message that Jonah preached. The word repent is not found in the book of Jonah. But clearly, this is what the people were doing. Fasting and wearing sackcloth were common practices associated with repentance. And it seems the Ninevites were truly afraid of the judgment that was being proclaimed against them and against their city, as seen by the king's edict in verses 7, 8, and 9. And the king issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. We only have the words of verse 4 telling us what Jonah preached. But personally, I believe he said much more than just this warning about 40 days until judgment. The Assyrians were idolaters, and they were involved in all kinds of abominable sins, which I think Pastor Ian will be mentioning in his message next week. I believe Jonah had to have told the Ninevites that it was the God of Israel, Yahweh, the creator and Lord of the universe, who was warning them of this impending doom and judgment. And I say this because verse 5 says the people believed God. And in verses 8 and 9, the king told his people to call out mightily to God in hopes that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. We also see here that the king is talking about the people turning from their wicked ways, in other words, repenting of their sins. And he also mentions God's anger here towards their sin. So it seems pretty obvious that Jonah told them about God's anger at their sin and wickedness, and also that they needed to repent. They needed to turn from their sins to God, the creator God. And if they didn't do this, God would overthrow their city. Now, Romans 2, verse 5, is descriptive, I think, of the condition at the time Jonah arrived in Nineveh, before he began to preach. Romans 2, verse 5 says, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The purpose of God's message to the Ninevites was to bring them to repentance. And his message to the world is exactly the same today. It's unfortunate, but the gospel message that some people teach or preach or share is missing this important element of repentance sometimes. The focus is on what God wants to do for us, that he loves us, and that if we believe in Jesus, our life will be better. And of course, all of those things are true. But 
are those the only things that people need to know before they trust in Jesus? Not at all. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 41, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. This must be the aim of our evangelism as well. When we tell people about the amazing love and grace of God and tell them that he is forgiving and merciful, we must do so in light of the seriousness of sin. God is loving despite our sinfulness. God is gracious despite our sinfulness. And he is merciful despite our sinfulness. Paul's words in Romans 2, verse 4, are very appropriate here, I think. Paul wrote, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means a change of mind, changing the way we think about various things, about God, about ourselves, about sin. It refers to an intentional change and turning away from sin and turning towards God. From wanting to sin to not wanting to sin. Repentance was at the heart of Paul's preaching, along with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see this in Acts 26, where he explained to King Agrippa what he preached after Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. He said, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Repent. Turn to God. Prove your repentance by the new life you live in the power of the Holy Spirit. This point is indis- it's an indispensable part of the gospel that we must share with the lost. I won't go into it today because I think Pastor Ian will be talking about it in next week's message. But the reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he knew God is merciful and kind. And he didn't want the Assyrians to be partakers of God's goodness to them. Yet, even though this is the Old Testament, we see that the basic principle at play in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, is here at play in Jonah 3 as well, because God doesn't change, as we heard earlier this morning. He wasn't a severe, merciless judge in the Old Testament, and a kind, merciful, and gracious Savior in the New Testament. This is what the Apostle Peter wrote about God's patience towards sinners. In 1 Peter 3, verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
depending on the country in which we live, there are some sins that are more prevalent than others. For example, in Japan, we need to talk to people very frankly about the need for them to repent of idolatry. People pray to and trust in idols of wood and stone and metal. They pray also to and worship the spirits of their ancestors. Of course, there are also the same kinds of sins that are here in the United States that people need to deal with. Sexual immorality, pride, drunkenness, selfishness, lying, greed, those types of things as well. And it's an amazing thing when the Holy Spirit convicts someone of their sinfulness in the eyes of their holy and righteous creator. We cannot bring about repentance in a sinner's heart. Only God can. But if we don't preach and talk about sin, how will people come to know that the gravest problem that they're facing is not a lack of peace or joy, or it's not finding purpose in life? These are merely the results of their sin. What people need to do is acknowledge acknowledge their sin and come humbly to the one who said this, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Recently, I had the privilege of helping a junior high school girl put her faith in Jesus. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John right now, and on the Sunday that I preached on John 3 and the need for people to be born again, she came up to me with her mother after the service in tears. She is half Japanese and half Filipina. She is a sweet, gentle girl, but her heart was broken over her sin. As I explained what she needed to understand and believe in order to be born again, she sat there weeping, just weeping and nodding her head in agreement. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation and that he died in place, in my place for my sins. Yes, I believe he rose from the dead and is alive today, and he's able to hear my prayer for forgiveness. Yes, 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 to all the things that she needed to believe. And then I explained that she needed to repent and desire to live a new life by faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not a perfect life. No one can do that, but a new life that's characterized by a desire to love and obey Jesus And when I asked her if she wanted to pray with me to trust in Jesus, she started crying even harder, so hard that she couldn't speak. And after a minute or two, she calmed down enough to speak, and I asked her what was wrong. And this sweet girl looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I think I'm too bad of a sinner to be a Christian. And inside I was smiling, because she was not some vile, evil sinner in the sense that many people are. And yet the Holy Spirit was showing her her sin. So we talked some more about her sins, the sins that she felt were so terrible. Not murder or robbery or sexual immorality or drunkenness or sexual trafficking, you know, those types of things. She was broken by her selfishness, by her pride her disobedience to her parents, bitterness towards the students who bullied her for being half Japanese. Her heart was so soft, and she was so repentant, so ready 
to be born again. And in the end, she did pray with me in her own words, confessing her terrible sins and asking Jesus to forgive her and be her Lord and Savior. And here she is with her mother a short time after she trusted in the Lord. What a beautiful thing it is to see a repentant heart that is broken over sin and longing for forgiveness. There is mercy and grace and forgiveness for such a person, just as there was for the people of Nineveh in Jonah's day. There's an interesting play on words in Jonah's message to the people of Nineveh. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Hebrew word translated as overthrown here can be translated as overthrow, demolish, overturn, but it can also be translated as convert or repent, that nuance of its being changed either by being destroyed or another thing. In other words, there's a possible double meaning here, a prophetic double meaning intended by the Holy Spirit. If the people did not repent, the city would be overthrown. It would be destroyed. But if they listened and listened to and obeyed Jonah's message, the city would be converted as it repented. And this is what happened. In verse 10, we read this. When God saw what they did, meaning the sackcloth and ashes, the repentance, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What a gracious and merciful God we serve. This is a perfect example of the truth that we find in Psalm 103, when we acknowledge our sins and repent of them. The psalmist wrote, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So if there's anyone here this morning or anyone who is watching online who has not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior from sin, I urge you to think about what you've heard today. No matter how bad your sins, no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. Amen. Amen. Jesus bore the punishment for our sins in our place, when he died on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you will acknowledge your sins and acknowledge your inability to save yourself, your inability to earn God's forgiveness or to make up for your sins, if you'll humbly cry out to him in repentance and faith, he will gladly forgive you and make you his child. One thing that stands out to me in Jonah chapter 3 is the fact that God is a God of second chances. Jonah disobeyed God. He ran in the opposite direction of God's will, and yet God brought him back and gave him a second chance. He used him to preach a message that resulted in the Lord not destroying 
a city of 120,000 people. Sometimes God leads us to share the gospel with someone, but for whatever reason, fear or not knowing what to say or how to say it, we don't do it. We can get down about that and feel that we're a total failure and useless to God and he'll give up on us. But in in some cases, we don't get another chance to share the gospel with that person. But in other cases, we do get another chance. God does give us another chance if we truly desire to have that chance. Another thing we learn from today's passage is that no one is beyond God's love and redemption. The Assyrians were a very wicked and idolatrous nation, and their soldiers, cruel and merciless, they weren't the kind of people that you would expect to fear a foreign God and repent of their sins, and yet they did. And sometimes we want to share the gospel with someone, and, or we're trying to share the gospel with someone who seems beyond hope. Let's not give up on people, no matter how hard they seem. There's no guarantee of course, that someone will repent and trust in Jesus, even if we pray for them, even if we love them, even if we share the gospel with them many times. But God doesn't want us to give up before we try. And neither does he want us to give up trying, no matter how hopeless a certain person might seem to us. There was a college student attending chapel 15 years ago named Junya, who had an abusive father who was truly evil, And Junya eventually became a Christian, but he was sure his father would never trust in the Lord. A few years years later, Junya's father got cancer, and he started to come to chapel almost every week, even though he had no interest in Jesus. And during that time, the gospel seed was sown many times into his heart, although it seemed like the seeds were constantly being eaten up by the birds, as Jesus said in his parable of the four soils. After his father's condition got worse, he was hospitalized, and he admitted that he was afraid to die. And one evening, another missionary at chapel, Steve, got a phone call from Junya, uh, saying that his father did not have much more time to live, and he went to visit him in the hospital. But Junya's father had no interest whatsoever in hearing anything about Jesus. In fact, he told Steve to leave, and he wouldn't even let Steve pray for him. But then two days later, when Junior was alone with his father, his father had a vision. He said that he had just seen these terrible, demonic spirits entering the hospital room, and he knew they were coming to get him. And then he saw a being of light stand before those evil spirits, holding them back. And in an instant, Junior's father had a change of heart. And he repented of his sins, and he trusted in Jesus, and he apologized to his son for the sins that he had committed against him. And they were reconciled. And then, a few hours later, his life on earth ended, and he went to be with Jesus forever. We never know what will happen in a person's heart and life. So let's continue to pray for the people who don't yet know Jesus, that God has placed in our lives and on our hearts. No matter how impossible it might seem, let's not give up praying for them and seeking opportunities to tell them about Jesus. One day you might see them come to Christ or meet them in heaven. There's one more thing I'd like to touch on before I end, and that's the fact that God gives us the message that he wants 
people to hear and know. When God called Jonah the second time, he said this to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Notice that God said he would give Jonah the message he wanted him to share with the Ninevites. And the same is true for us today, I think. God gives us the message. Ian, Pastor Ian spoke about this in the first message in this series, I think. The Lord doesn't use angels or supernatural messages in the sky. Most of the time, he uses us, his children. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. He sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. He sent Peter to Cornelius. He sent Paul to the Gentile cities of the Roman Empire. It was never God's plan to do everything himself. And so, who is he sending you to? Jesus has called us to go into all the world to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. But we aren't all called to be missionaries overseas. It would be great if more people were open to the call, of course. But God has called every Christian to be his witness, witnesses where they are right now. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So God wants to use us wherever we are as his ambassadors, as his lights, his salt of the earth. We might be teachers, doctors, electricians, housewives, carpenters, sales clerks, or bankers. It doesn't matter. Whatever our vocation in the eyes of the world, in God's eyes, we have another vocation. We are God's people who are called to declare his praises, or as the New American Standard translates it, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. In our homes, in our schools, in our companies, in our neighborhoods, our sports clubs, our PTA meetings, we are called to be faithful witnesses and to share his love, grace, and kindness with those we rub shoulders with. Jonah started with the regular people, the grassroots people of Nineveh. And eventually the message rose up to the king and the nobles. But he started the average person in the street. He probably walked into that great city, stopping from time to time, preaching God's word and repentance to the merchants, to slaves, to housewives and soldiers, whoever was near. God can transform our community and city from the top down if he so chooses, but I think he often wants to start from the bottom up, so to speak, as he did in Nineveh. And we also see from the life of Jonah that God gives us the message. Some Christians are hesitant to share the gospel because they don't really know what to say. And of course, we we need to have some knowledge of the Bible. But you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary or have the spiritual gift of evangelism to be an effective evangelist. First of all, pray and ask the Lord for opportunities to talk about Jesus. Then keep your eyes and ears open for people who might be prepared to listen. And remember that to be a good evangelist, you must be a good listener. Effective witnessing starts with sincere, careful listening. This is where many people go wrong, I think. They are more interested in sharing what they want to say than in hearing what is on the heart and mind of the person they're trying to witness to. And they sit there thinking, I wish you would stop talking so I can say what I need to say. That's not the way to go about it. 
this pre, they have a predetermined gospel message or tract that they want to share, but the person might not necessarily want to listen to that. But most people are very willing to talk about themselves and eventually maybe to share their problems with us. So we need to learn to ask good questions, questions that will help us find out what those person's needs might be and concentrate on what they're saying. What struggles do they have? What problems are they facing? What worries or fears do they have? And we need to follow James's admonition in James 1.19, where he says that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Sometimes our evangelism is quick to speak and slow to listen. So let's pray. Pray continually that while we're talking to this person and listening to what they're saying, that God would show us what is important in what our friend is saying, and ask the Lord to give us the words to share when it's our turn to speak. And when they share something that they're dealing with, we can ask them, would it be all right if I share something with you that I found helpful in my life when I was facing something like that? And they may give you that opportunity then to say those things that you want to say, but they're now eager and open to listen. So effective evangelism starts with a sincere desire to see people come to Christ because we love them and care about them. If we listen carefully and sincerely and really show an interest, it will make it easier for them to feel that they're not just gospel targets or they're not just going to be another notch on our gospel evangelism belt. So one very effective tool in evangelism is your testimony. Be honest about your sins and the consequences of sin in your own life and how repentance changed your life, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Jonah is unique in that the Holy Spirit didn't place the focus on the prophet's message itself. In in Jonah, the, the focus is always placed on Jonah, the prophet himself. He was so much like us, I think. And next week, Pastor Ian will be looking at the danger that we all face when we view the unsaved as sinners and ourselves as saints. So as you go through the week ahead, please remember that you are called by God if you are his child to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. The Lord has entrusted you and me with a very important message the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and repentance toward God. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.